namo narayana om 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 namo We have a very interesting saying here today. It sort of goes from, you might say, the ridiculous to the sublime. Usually you think of the saying as being from the sublime to the ridiculous. But the first one is about gossip, and then it goes on into the consciousness of a great master. Rumors and gossip tend to flourish when groups of people are gathered together. The master once made the following comment on this tendency. My master, Sri Yukteswar, used to say, it is not something I, if it is not something I can say to everybody, I don't want to hear it. The master often warned us not to go to worldly places for relaxation and enjoyment, not even for milkshakes, though this he said only to a few of the younger ones. He said also, you must report it when you see anyone here commit a serious offense against our rule. Someone once reported to him, I saw so-and-so going into an ice cream parlor. The master dismissed the statement impatiently. I didn't mean that kind of infraction. Don't bother me with such petty gossip. Report serious infractions, however, those which might harm others in our way of life. If someone does something seriously wrong, to say nothing about it would be treachery. Supposing someone put poison in another person's drink and you knew about it, wouldn't you speak out? Were you to rationalize and said, well, it wasn't I who poisoned that drink, it isn't my business, you'd be as guilty as the poisoner. When anyone here goes against our way of life, it is, in a way, poisoning it. When you know of any serious wrong, you must report what you know. It would be shirking your own responsibility not to do so. Now here's the deeper side, and it's, it's quite interesting. And I imagine most people in ashrams and so on have this thought. My guru went on to say, some people think, oh, he knows about it. Naturally, God sees these things. He doesn't always talk, however. My role here is very difficult. I have to play both divine and human parts. My inner and my outer natures are different. In my divine self, I see these things, but sometimes that self remains aloof until something is called to my attention. My outer self plays a human role. It is not easy to play both roles at the same time, though I do my best to live as God wants me to. 
But you mustn't assume, thinking, oh, he knows that it will be all right. You, too, have to behave responsibly. Irresponsibility is not the way to grow spiritually. Always speak out, therefore, when something serious demands your involvement. Now, this is a practical and yet a very um, cosmic uh, kind of saying. On the practical level, two things are important. We must understand that we do have a responsibility to uh, other people as well as to ourselves in the sense that if we're a part of a group, for example, and somebody does something seriously wrong, then, as he said, you should report it. But the other side of it is really interesting because it's so often that we tend to think, especially if we, um, especially if we have a guru, and we know that he really knows these things, but uh, depending, some sometimes gurus know it but don't know it. Depending on, see, my guru did know it. As soon as you touched on it, he recognized it instantly. But there was a woman one time, very interesting. Um, she she was the disciple of a guru who was perhaps less not completely enlightened or not completely freed from outward consciousness, whatever it was. She was going through a stream, and the water was flooded, the river was flooded, and it, it became dangerous for her, and she was just about to lose her footing when her guru appeared and grabbed her hand and helped her across, and then he disappeared in the crowd. But when she saw him, she was on her way to, to meet him, she thanked him for helping her. And he said, what do you mean? He didn't know about it in his ego, but his soul knew. Now, there's a certain level of spiritual development where the soul does know, and it can perform even miracles, and yet it hasn't made that bridge to human consciousness yet. She had to let this guru know that he had come, and then that he probably did know then, but that, that little gap, uh, it's a fascinating aspect. The spiritual path is so subtle. Now, with my guru, that was not the case. He was always completely aware. And uh, uh, just like one time a brother disciple of mine used to say, I love you, guru, and he happened to pass the guru in the garden once, and the guru looked at him lovingly and said, I love you too. And he appeared sometimes in his material body to people to help people. But he knew those things. There's one story, a very interesting one, uh, in a chapter of mine in, in The Path, in which uh, one of the disciples is given help by the guru. If I can find this chapter, because I didn't plan on reading it today, but it certainly is a good one. Here it is. Jerry Torgerson hitchhiked, he was a disciple, hitchhiked into Los Angeles. To hitchhike was contrary to the master's advice, but Jerry, like many other young Americans, had been practically raised on hitchhiking. More than master's ca casual proscription was needed, evidently, to get him to change his habits. Three men picked me up, he told us. We were riding along when suddenly, how I couldn't say, I knew they were criminals. I want to get out right here, I told them, but they wouldn't stop. 
After some distance, we left the main road and drove through open countryside to a secluded house. One of the men got out, the other two stayed in the car with me. I didn't know what they had in mind, but I can tell you I was afraid. I started praying to Master for help. Well, the first man went and knocked at the front door. No answer. He went around the house, knocking and calling at every door and window. Still no answer. By this time, the two men in the car were getting worried. Let's get out of here, they called out nervously. The first fellow came back just as nervous as they were. We all drove back to the main road, and there they let me out. The moment I'd slammed the door behind me, they rushed off at high speed. I never did find out what they had in mind, but I had the strong impression that they were planning to use me in some crime. I said nothing to anyone about all this. After church the next Sunday, however, I went up to Master for his blessing. The moment he saw me, he scolded me. You see, Jerry, I told you not to hitchhike. I had to close the ears of all the people in that house so they wouldn't hear that man when he called to them. Now, these powers that great gurus have, one good reason why you need a guru. How many mistakes I have known my own guru to save me from, just by his blessing. How many times that I made a mistake, he somehow made it all right. Even in a mundane way, the blessings of a guru are invaluable. Not just any guru but a God-realized guru. And he had that consciousness of having to sort of bridge the gap between these two worlds. But he always was inwardly aware. I was talking, for example, about, uh, this is with him years ago, I, I said, sir, would you help so-and-so? He's going through a hard time. When as soon as I said that, he said, uh-oh, he knew as soon as I told him, but he wasn't thinking about it then. It was on the periphery of his consciousness. Don't think that everything you do he will necessarily be aware of. As he used to say, it's a matter of also of your attunement. He said, those who are in tune, I know every thought they think. And I certainly found it to be so. Even in funny ways, there was one time at our church, somebody who wasn't sincere, and I happened to be talking with him, and I told him I would be giving the, the class on Wednesday evening, and he said, oh, well, in that case, I'll be sure to be there. Well, I knew he would be there anyway. I didn't like that insincere flattery, but I didn't have a very gracious way of uh, turning that flattery away from myself. I said, well, then in that case, would you please check people's pockets when they come to make sure they don't have vegetables to throw. It was not an elegant way of speaking. Well, anyway, when I saw Master next, he, he was talking, and he said, oh, by the way, don't talk about people having vegetables and so on. I said, you knew? He said, I know your thoughts. But he was trying to train me as a teacher, and he wanted me to learn to be more dignified. I was a young man and had a buoyant sense of humor, and Sometimes it was appropriate, but not in this case. So, but what, what I found with him always was that he knew my thoughts. He knew every flicker of desire. And uh, such, such a 
wonderful thing to know. I never was, I, it never bothered me that he knew every thought. I wanted him to. He said, I won't come into your mind if you don't want, it, or want me to. I discipline only those who ask me to do so, and I only watch the thoughts of those who ask me to. Otherwise, he's certainly conscious of every thought in the universe. As he says in his poem in uh, Samadhi, all thoughts of all men, past, present, to come, are a part of my great consciousness. That is Samadhi. But all those thoughts become more uppermost to the human vehicle that is conscious with his own entourage of people whom he's seeking to help. And uh, to have somebody who is aware of your thoughts, don't be embarrassed. I mean, this is the usual way for people. They make a mistake and they think of God and they go, I hope you didn't see that one. Of course he saw it. He is you. He's every thought in your mind. He's every flicker of desire in your consciousness. The most, the, the greatest sin, however, remember, a saint is a sinner who never gave up. Every sin is just a little sort of something that needs cleaning in your consciousness, like a spot on your shirt. Don't worry about it. Give it to God. That's the only way to become free. Master used to say, give to God even the mistakes that you make. Make him responsible for them. And he went on, he made another very fascinating addition to that statement. He said, God likes that. Because you see, when you give those thoughts to him, when you give even your sins and your mistakes and so on to him, then he gives you the power to change them. As you, uh, you see, we're always taught in spiritual teaching, let God be the doer. God is the doer. When people compliment me on a talk, for example, I say, God is the doer. This is what we must live in that thought. But it's stranger when you think that God is the doer and you're the one who made the mistake. Think of that too. The state of Jivan Mukta, when you look, look back over all your lives, in that state, you are seeing God as the doer of all the things that you did, the crimes, the murders, everything. He's the one playing this great show. When you make him responsible, then you release that ego into the infinite. And, of course, in that release, you don't do those things anymore. It's from own, your own egoic desire that makes you want to do it. So it's not as if making God the doer, giving the responsibility to him, that gives you carte blanche to do anything you want to. No, when you have that consciousness, you don't want to. In that freedom, you see that he acts rightly through you, not foolishly. How wonderful it is to have a God-known master. We have this song that we love to sing sometimes. It's to master, to the guru. And I, as I said earlier, that we speak of master not as our master. We're not his slaves. He is a master of himself as we seek to be. And so we seek to give that mastery to him so that he can make us masters in our own right. Let's listen to this song. God bless you. Oh, master, may thy joy 
thy wisdom guide our way. The time has come for us to see that there's but one reality upon the earth and high above, the truth that all was made from Oh, 
Oh, 